This is AgriPulse Open Bike. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Rita Height, Executive Vice President for External Relations and Policy for the American Forest Foundation. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Learn more about the Zero for Zero plan to zero out global sugar subsidies at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with AFF's Rita Height next. America's sugar growers are among the most efficient and sustainable in the world. But billions of dollars in foreign sugar subsidies have distorted the global market for surplus sugar, driving prices to levels barely one-half of global cost of production. Eliminating America's no-cost sugar policy without first reforming the global sugar market would jeopardize family farms, good-paying jobs, and our domestic supply of sugar. A new bill called Zero for Zero takes action to zero out all foreign sugar subsidies and level the playing field. Learn more at sugaralliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. A large percentage of forest lands in the nation are owned by families and individuals and could play a huge role in reducing carbon from the atmosphere. Rita Height, who will succeed current CEO Tom Martin in 2022, says capital incentives for forest landowners can pay big dividends. Most people, when they think about forests, they think about government-owned land or they think about land that's owned by big corporations. When over a third, the largest chunk of our forests are owned by families and individuals. And again, there's 21 million people about one in four rural Americans own forests. So these are a big component of rural America. And to your point, um, about 50% of the wood we use um, to make paper products, lumber, um, all sorts of different um, innovative wood products, um, about 50% of that wood comes from family lands. And in addition to the wood products that family landowners supply, um, we also supply clean water, um, clean air, in critical wildlife habitat. So there's a whole suite of um, benefits that forests and managed forests provide for, for rural economies in, in America. How do you a- adopt or address the philosophy of protecting these lands, but also making and keeping these lands productive and safe? So first, let me say that there are some lands that should be left alone. There are certainly some lands out there that, that make a lot of sense to maintain for wilderness or other values. But um, what we've learned, especially as um, the, the issues around climate change have increased, as we've seen more severe wildfires, as we've seen issues like invasive species and others begin to take over our forests and cause major forest health problems, management is essential. Um, and that management helps create a healthier forest, helps remove things like um, small diameter materials that might fuel wildfires or make otherwise make a, a, a healthy forest weak and not able to resist things like wildfires or insects and invasive species. So that management, again, especially as some of these pressures increase, like climate change, is absolutely essential for healthy um, forests and for forests to contribute to um, mitigating climate change. Can you share with us the impact of wildfires and of this extended drought that we have seen, what's the cost economically and what's the cost to these lands and, and the need for restoration? So a little known fact um, about our forests in the West, again, when we think about those forests um, and we see, you know, the, the highlights on, on TV, a lot of folks think that they're public lands, right? Um, 
there is a huge amount of public land out west, um, either Forest Service, BLM, or state government lands, for example, that are burning. But about a third um, of those lands in the West are owned by families and individuals. And so the impacts of these wildfires is huge on families to our conversation earlier. You know, they're they're growing a forest um, and hoping to generate income at some point in the future, maybe 20 or 30 years down the road, to pay for their taxes, to pay for their child's education, to pay for their health care. And it, instantly a fire can, can destroy that um revenue source and can 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 destroy their ability to keep the for, their forest healthy over the long term. And, you know, the, the price tag um, out west right now, I mean, it's pretty astronomical, both in terms of the the firefighting costs, um, it, the, the amount of money it takes to fight a lot of these fires, but also the amount of money that it takes to restore these areas and help landowners get on back on their feet after these natural disasters. Um, restoration is key for us to actually be able to handle wildfire in these communities and have more resilient communities um, and, and lands so that, you know, when wildfires do come through, they're not as catastrophic. From the losses that have been seen and the restoration that is needed, is Washington's help adequate for you financially, or what else do you need right now? What I would say um, in terms of the private land base out there the Forest Service did an estimate of what it would cost over the next 10 years to actually start to get a handle on the wildfire risks out west. And this is both public and private lands. And they estimated it's about $60 billion that's needed to be put into land restoration out west on, again, public, private lands. Um, there was about, I want to say there's about uh, maybe $6, 7000000000 in the infrastructure bill um, that just in the, in the Senate, um, there's a whole heck of a lot more resources that are needed there to really, truly start to get a handle on the wildfire risk out west. A bill that's um, that's out there by Senator Bennett, um, the Outdoor Restoration Partnership Act, starts to get at this and actually put the right kinds of resources, um, the scale of resources needed into addressing this issue on the landscape. So let's take the next step. There's plenty of conversation now about climate smart agriculture there's plenty of talk about carbon markets that uh, are already in existence and some landowners that are being paid for particular farming practices as they raise crops each year livestock producers are making a commitment uh, towards sustainability and and making moves toward being carbon neutral i would have to believe that this is a renewed opportunity for landowners, and especially if there could be uh, some sort of financial reward for preservation of forest lands and management of forest lands. Yeah, so first, a little bit of context. Today, our forests capture and, and store about 15% of our annual emissions in the U.S. And there's studies out there, including from the Nature Conservancy, that highlight the fact that forests could, could actually contribute about 30%. We could double um, the amount of carbon that forests are capturing and storing um, with the right resources and incentives in place. And by the way, the biggest chunk of that opportunity for forests to do more to mitigate climate change, to capture and store more carbon, is in what we call improved forest management. That idea of helping ensure that our forests are healthier and more resilient, and by doing so, they're going to capture and store more carbon. And so there's a huge opportunity for forests to, to do more with respect to, to climate. 
One of the key mechanisms to finance this work and to enable this work to happen on the ground and this improved forest management that will help capture and store more carbon is carbon markets. Traditionally, um, they've, the, the largest uh, carbon markets out there are voluntary carbon markets. And, you know, there's some that estimate that by 2050, these could be worth somewhere in the $90 billion range. So a big opportunity for revenues. But right now, less than 1% of the acres in these carbon markets um, that are out there are small properties. And so the majority of forests that are being enrolled in these in, in these um, carbon markets right now are not small landowners. And don't forget what we talked about earlier, that the bulk of our forests in, uh, are owned by families and individuals. So if we don't find ways for these small landowners, these families and individuals to participate in carbon markets, we're basically going to see $90 billion in resources in this private market go other places besides rural America. Um, and so what we've been trying to do at the American Forest Foundation in partnership with the Nature Conservancy is identify solutions so that we can help family landowners participate in these markets and do it in a credible way that ensures corporations who are buying carbon from these markets uh, actually have a credible carbon credit um, to use to, to offset and displace their emissions. So that's been an awesome partnership. That's one of the key things that we're focused on to help enable family landowners to, to mitigate climate change and do more to, to protect the, the climate. There are mm-hmm. some who say if farmers adopted no-till farming or cover crops or other sustainable practices before now, then that's what they did before now, and we assume that as a baseline is already a part of existing carbon sequestration. There are those who would say these forest lands were planted to trees a long time ago, so this is a part of the base of carbon sequestration that we already have. Others say the work has been done, and we need to be rewarded for what has been done, as well as future opportunities to sequester even more carbon. So which side of the fence do you stand on? So first, what I would say is there's a, uh, our forests out there. Again, what we, what I talked about earlier, uh, forests currently, um, capture and store about 15% of our emissions. We've got to continue to protect that emissions reduction source. We've got to keep forests as forests. We've got to, um, you know, continue to sustain those existing forests. But as I mentioned, studies show that we can double that with the right kinds of management practices, with the right kind of activity in our woods. In terms of carbon markets, you know, carbon markets are really aimed at capturing that additional carbon um, beyond what we would we have already um, captured and stored in our forests. And so the American Forest Foundation and the Nature Conservancy's partnership around the Family Forest Carbon Program is focused around helping landowners capture that additional carbon, again, moving from that 15% to 30%. How do we fill that gap, right? And how do we help landowners do more? capture and store additional carbon in their woods so that, you know, we're, we're not just maintaining, but we're adding to the, the climate value that forests provide. So we've, we've seen policy of the Growing Climate Solutions Act. It's had some traction in Washington. It's not the carbon bank that many thought that it was going to be, but nonetheless, there is a vehicle. Uh, does your hope reside inside that particular policy, or what is the work that you're already doing with your family forest carbon program? So first, what I would say around um, carbon and climate policy in forests, there isn't one single magic bullet um, of a policy solution. Um, there's a number of things that can be done um, to enable forests to contribute to climate mitigation. For example, um, we could invest in and do more in the existing USDA conservation programs to enable forest owners to implement a lot of these management practices that benefit the climate. 
Um, we can invest in forest inventory and analysis, uh, an awesome tool that helps provide data um, so we, we have a better sense of what our forests are doing today and what they um, add um, as we implement these practices in the woods. We need better um, uh, data tools like FIA. But the other piece um, as well that, that is really important for us and that we're working on a piece of legislation around is, okay, if we're going to help landowners access carbon markets, there's a big upfront cost um, to participating in carbon markets. You've got to implement a practice. You've got to have a forester that's going to help you um, design a practice and, and implement the practice on the ground. And then it doesn't actually um, generate carbon for sometimes decades to come. And so you don't actually generate revenue from the carbon market for, for a while. And so there's this need for this big chunk of upfront capital to help finance um, uh, family forest owners' participation in carbon markets. There's a bill that Senator Stabenow and Senator Braun, um, Congresswoman Pingree, and Stefanik have introduced called the Rural Forest Markets Act. And all it does is it says USDA can provide loan or bond guarantees to help enable and unlock this private capital. It's a, it's a role that USDA has played um, in, a, in a lot of different commodities, again, providing that, that risk um, mitigation for investors who want to put money into these kinds of practices, but they're new. Um, they're a little too risky. And so if USDA can help back that through mechanisms like the Rural Forest Markets Act, it's going to unlock these markets for family landowners over the long term. What research do you need or how else can Washington help identify and incentivize practices for uh, private landowners, uh, private uh, forest, yeah. forest landowners? Yeah. Um, so, so one of the things, um, you know, the Family Forest Carbon Program, this partnership with AFS and the Nature Conservancy, it's built off the idea of the landowner implementing a practice um, that we then do the accounting um, to determine the carbon value and have a way to measure and monitor and verify that carbon and then sell it in the market. This requires a lot of science to determine what the practices are that are right in different forest types and determine the carbon value associated with those practices. And so that's a big role that USDA um, can and is already playing. Frankly, the work that we've done already through, through the Family Forest Carbon Program is all predicated on forest service research um, that helps us identify those practices. So there's a huge role that the government can play in that. And again, there's also um, a data um, role. So um, underpinning all of this work to account for carbon in these practices is forest inventory analysis data. This is a program the Forest Service um, uh, hosts that essentially provides the kind of baseline data about our forests in the U.S. And what we need from that program, we need it to continue, and we need actually to get better data um, in terms of more higher-resolution data so that um, as we're measuring and, and monitoring this carbon over time, we have a data source that we can constantly use to refresh and, and verify the carbon activities in the woods. So those are two key roles that um, the that USDA and the Forest Service in particular can play. Really, if we're talking to crop farmers, they would suggest that employing a cover crop or moving over to no-till or minimum till uh, or making some, some structural changes in fields in order that they could uh, sequester more carbon. There's an expense associated with that, and they'd like to be compensated. When I think of forest landowners that might only receive one check in a lifetime, how important is it for programs that might come from Washington to recognize that there might not be immediate 
uh, resolution or immediate return for practices, but that forced landowners to could still be compensated uh, to afford to to take on these these enterprises. That's a really important point. Is that a lot of the practices that a forest owner is going to implement? Again, some of these practices around um, avoiding high grading or growing um, you know higher quality trees. There's going to be a cost associated with them. And the carbon value, um, for example, to be sold into the carbon market um, doesn't typically come for a few years, if not sometimes decades. And so um, we, we're going to need programs and, and resources that support uh, these upfront costs, addressing these upfront costs um, before the, the carbon is generated over the long term. And that's where bills like the Rural Forest Markets Act can really come in, because, again, to implement these practices, there's a huge amount of upfront capital that's needed. And the Rural Forest Markets Act would say um, USDA can can provide a guarantee, a loan or a bond guarantee, to unlock this upfront capital, pay landowners upfront for these practices, and periodically over the life of a contract. And then again, that capital can be paid back with the generation of carbon and selling the carbon in the market over time. Let's discuss the relationship at the crossroads of the uh, American Forest Foundation, the forest landowners, the environmental groups that might be in, involved in climate debate, and then landowners. Traditionally, we are pretty territorial as we're looking at policy. Uh, let's talk about the need for cooperation as we try to accomplish purposes that benefit us all. So one of the things that is so um, awesome about working with family landowners um, and again, I've worked with family landowners now at the American Forest Foundation for about 13 years and in, in a previous life in, in other ways. And family landowners um, fundamentally want to care for their land, um, have a healthy forest, and be able to pass along something that's better to the next generation. And so with that goal in mind, they have a lot of commonality with groups like the Nature Conservancy, with groups, with environmental organizations who who care about the environment, who care about the climate. And so one of the things that we do, and again, um, through programs like the Family Forest Carbon Program, is we find ways to partner with other environmental organizations to help family landowners realize the potential that they have for their land. Again, these goals around healthy forests, um, while also benefiting the environment, um, like addressing climate change, like um, addressing other environmental issues like biodiversity protection or water quality protection. We find a lot of commonality there. And, and the key to unlocking this for family landowners, again, is they want to do the right thing. Often it's too expensive for them to do the right thing. And so unlocking markets like carbon markets, providing resources like USDA conservation program resources can help landowners do what they already want to do um, but can't afford right now. How do you justify your seat at the table during this climate debate and what should others recognize about your ability to be there and your need mm -hmm. to be there? So again, if you go back to thinking about our forest, a third, the largest, over a third, the largest chunk of our forest are owned by families and individuals. And so if we're going to unlock forest potential to mitigate climate change, we've got to help family landowners do what they need to do in their woods to improve their forest and capture and store more carbon. The other thing I would say, if you think about this forest land base is, um, you know, they're a huge part of the forest land base. They're also huge parts of rural communities. Um, one in four rural Americans own forests. 
And so if we are able to help family landowners implement carbon-friendly activities that also benefit rural economies, um, we're, we're helping support um, rural communities and bringing some of these resources from carbon markets, for example, into rural communities that wouldn't otherwise um, show up. For example, the American Forest Foundation and the Nature Conservancy's Family Forest Carbon Program is generating about, right now I think we've already um, generated about $2.5 million for rural landowners in western Pennsylvania through the program. And that's money coming from Amazon. And Amazon that would never um, normally put money into a rural community in western Pennsylvania, but because of these carbon markets, we're generating real dollars to help landowners put um, practices to work on the ground. This may seem a tangent, but I'll ask this. What's the difference between companies that might make claims, for example, if you drink our beverage, we'll plant a tree, or with research verified carbon sequestration volumes per particular practices. What's the Mm -hmm. difference between claims and results and how important to make sure that we define that? So I think what we're seeing today in the, in the marketplace is a lot of the corporations that are, um, uh, making commitments around, for example, um, uh, net zero or other carbon neutrality commitments or even carbon reduction commitments. There's a huge um, amount of pressure on these corporations to to do that right and actually um, generate and really reduce their emissions um, and, and, and actually generate real value. Um, so what we're finding is that, um, you know, the, the corporations that, for example, want to plant trees, um, that's perfectly fine. But a lot of these corporations are saying, we want to do that, but we want to do it in a way that generates a verified claim so that we can meet the rigorous standards that are being placed on us as as we are uh, achieving these these climate goals, these net zero um, carbon neutrality goals. And so the value of a verified claim is becoming more and more, um, there's a there's a higher and higher demand for these verified claims as compared with projects that, that simply produce something on the land like a tree planting that doesn't have a verified claim associated with that. Well, Rita Height, we'd like to thank you very much for your service over the past 13 years to forest landowners and your role as the Executive Vice President of External Relations and Policy, uh, and wish you good fortune as you take over the uh, President and CEO of the organization. Thanks for taking time to be with us on this edition of Open Mic. And Rita, it is Open Mic, and today you have the last word. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity. And the the thing I would close with is now is our moment. Family forests um, and forests in general have huge value that we can uh, provide to addressing these critical issues, whether we're talking about climate change, wildfire, um, the, the growing pressures on biodiversity protection. Now is our moment for um, helping family landowners in rural America contribute to these issues and generating real value and real revenue for these rural landowners to put back into the land. So I really appreciate the time here, Jeff, and and the opportunity to talk with you about family landowners and and the value we can create to addressing these critical issues in front of us today. Our thanks to the American Forest Foundation's Rita Height, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Learn more about the Zero for Zero plan to zero out global sugar subsidies at sugaralliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dowling.